Good morning. Good imachi. And welcome to the inaugural show of Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. Sintamana Ana Pikabitamde. I am your host, Keishi Corrine Pierce. Since this is the inaugural show of Good Ancestors and Local Treasures, I want to take a moment uh, to share a bit about myself. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver. I'm a traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. I've had the honor of being featured in numerous news articles, art galleries, and museum exhibits all over the United States. I was recently a guest presenter at the 40th annual EcoFarm Conference, which I'm very proud of. I am the author of the book, Pomo Cradle Baskets, An Introduction, and have been featured in the PBS program, Craft in America, The California Episode. I'm a 2020 Jennifer Easton Community Spirit Award recipient, as well as the 2020 inaugural Loose Indigenous Knowledge Fellowship Fellow. I was most recently a presenter for the Northern California Tribal Court Coalition and a guest speaker on the radio program, Native American Calling. I'm currently a featured artist for the California Indian Conference 2020 Digital Exhibition, California American Indian Culture and Art as Pedagogy, a Teaching and Learning Exhibit. I'm honored that you're joining me this morning to, to take a closer look at some amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes, who happen to also be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community. Yawi Tochima. Thank you for listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on community-supported KZYX. So, we are going to spend um, the next hour discussing the jewels, and I'm sorry if I'm not going to say this right. I'm actually going to ask one of my guests really quick to help me out. Um, how do you say his last name? Jules Tavernier? Is that right? Tavernier. Tavernier. Okay. French. Um, so the uh, exhibit is called Jules Tavernier and the Elem Pomo, and it's going to be coming to the De Young Museum in San Francisco from December 18th through April 17th. So I'm super excited to have the privilege to speak with three local treasures <clears throat> from our indigenous community who had a big role in the creation of that exhibit and how it is being presented. So I'm super excited about that. So the exhibit is centered around a painting that was created in 1878 uh, titled Dance in the Subterranean Roundhouse at Clear Lake, California. So I'm going to read from the San Francisco Chronicle. It was an article uh, that was out last month talking about this exhibit. And it's really in-depth. It's going to take a couple of minutes, and then we're going to talk with the people who helped create that. So... Um, Tavernier, yes? <laughs> okay, my French is not the best. Uh, while in San Francisco, Tavernier spent two years visiting the Elam Pomo Indian village at Clear Lake, California, while preparing to create the painting Dance in a Subterranean Roundhouse at Clear Lake, California in 1878. The painting depicts, um, and I'm going to actually ask Robert if he can to 
um, say the word for the people's dance. I know he speaks Eastern Pomo and I speak Northern Pomo. I'm sure it's very close. Um, I think it's M Fum Ha, but I'm not. Hey, okay, I'm fine. Yeah, hey, okay. or the people's dance, which mm-hmm. is a sacred ritual to the Elem Pomo that takes place in an underground roundhouse uh, known as okay, Robert. Okay. The dance was performed as a protection ritual for the land and peoples as new settlers brought diseases. The painting was commissioned by a San Francisco banker as a gift for his business partner, Baron Edmund de Rothschild, and was shipped to Europe upon completion. Despite its immediate transit to France, local newspaper accounts of the time call the work, quote, by far the most remarkable picture ever painted on the Pacific coast, end quote. The painting was purchased by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in 2016. Um, the exhibition at the D. Young will be the first time that the painting has been on the West Coast in 140 years. Christina Helmick, the curator in charge of the Arts of the Americas, Oceania, and Africa for the Fine Art Museum, said, quote, The exhibition looks at his work in a new way that makes it perhaps more important, end quote. Noting that Tavernier's inclusion of indigenous people in his landscape was itself unusual for the time when other artists were were presenting scenes of the American West as open and ready for settlement. Tavernier actually shows indigenous communities at these historical moments when they are being displaced or when their communities are really under tremendous stress from settler incursion, genocide, and displacement. The exhibition will include additional paintings, prints, watercolors, and photographs by the artist, as well as depictions of the Elam Pomo by Tavernier's contemporaries. Ceremonial regalia will also be on view, along with examples of Pomo basketry, an art, for, an art form they are renowned for. Through the partnership that we have with POMO curators, scholars, and cultural leaders, we are not only bringing perspective about indigenous representation, but also issues about indigenous sovereignty and land, said Christine Helmick. The exhibition will also feature a documentary made by the Fine Art Museum, bringing contemporary Elem POMO perspective to the work. The film highlights the history and culture of this community as it existed when Tavernier was allowed to paint and record their ceremonies. The destructive impact of industrial mining on the community in the late 19th and 20th centuries and the ongoing legacy of that impact, end quote. So again, that was from the San Francisco Chronicle. The article was entitled Jules Tavernier and the Alem Pomo. Again, that's coming to San Francisco D. Young, December 18th. So, that's done, and I'm right on time. So, uh, welcome to my three amazing folks here who had a hand in creating that upcoming exhibit. So, with me today, uh, via Zoom, due to COVID, <laughs> we have Robert Gary, who's an Lempomo cultural leader and regalia maker, and he is a captain of the Roundhouse. He's actually my cousin, so bragging a little bit. Um these people are really important to me, so I'm really, really proud and happy that they are on this inaugural show today. 
So we also are joined by Sherry Smith Ferry, who is a renowned Dry Creek Pomo scholar and a personal hero of mine. And if you uh, listen to this show in the future, you will he- hear me quote her repeatedly. Um, I also am joined with by a good friend, Mio Marufo, who is another personal hero, a great artist. And um, when I grow up, I want to be Mio. <laughs> So she does a lot of really cool stuff. She's one of the most talented creators of things that I know. So I love her very much. I love all these people very much. Welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures, guys. Um, so it's important to me to represent indigenous culture because I am an indigenous woman. And it's very important to me that um, everyone in our community knows how amazing and outstanding these people are. We have such a rich and diverse community that I am aware of, and I'm so honored to be able to share it. So I want to start with Robert. Robert, if you can introduce yourself, um, and then I have a few questions for you about the exhibit. Sherry shared with me that um, you were the first person that the curators contacted about doing this exhibit. Can you tell me what that was like? Robert Geary, how's everyone today? My name is Robert Geary and I'm from Alem. Um, yeah, this kind of came, came up. Um, did you want to do introductions first with everyone or, and then go through the questions? Is that how you wanted to? Um, are you feeling like that sounds good to you? <laughs> well, yeah, I just kind of figured that's kind of what we were going to do. But um, no, either one. I mean, the question, the question, well, the answer to the question, I guess, is is um, it was actually it came across in an email. Like you know, um, I can't remember. I want to say like in um, seventeen, sixteen, two thousand seventeen or sixteen. Um, actually, the head of the linguistics department, somebody emailed her and uh, said that they wanted to know more about the painting that's the very first time i saw the painting and uh yeah it was it was it was amazing um you know i like i said you know and i i wrote the preface actually for the program for it and and uh it's uh really uh it was uh, an eye-opening um you know experience to see something just so grandiose i guess um and so, um, yeah, I stayed, I stared, you know, for a long time at it, um, looking at all the, the details and intricacies, I guess, that he caught, which were really good to see um, the material from the environment that he used. Um, kind of really uh, goes along with uh, a lot of the, the, the traditional knowledge uh, that our, our uh, elders had talked about how these uh, structures were uh, uh, created. So, um yeah, no, it was it was it was nice. It was it was good. And then you know, I also you know, kind of being a regalia maker, you look at all the details that really aren't so great. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of did that too. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's it's a interesting picture. I've never seen it in person. Have you been able to to visit the? Oh, yeah. And it's huge, right? It's yeah. it's yeah, like it's actually in the American Wing where. It's in the same um, room where uh, Washington's crossing the Delaware. Oh wow! So it's a yeah, it's in it's it's, it's in a really profound um, room that's there at the uh, at the museum. So yeah, it's. Uh, well, so these it, are it, almost like life size ancestors that you're looking oh, at. 
um yeah kind of, well almost. The, yeah almost i mean it's it, it is a pretty big picture um you know the the yeah the the painting is is pretty huge so but, um, that's exciting so i i read in the same article in the chronicle that you said um that it was kind of a, it's a double-edged sword mm-hmm. um what did you mean by that if you could elaborate on what you meant well on one hand it was good to be able to have a reference to history i guess with like i said collaborating um and kind of comparing i guess all the things that you've been told along the way um you know here uh, a French painter actually puts it on canvas, right, to see like how grapevine was used, you know, see how, you know, the poles were used, how they were, you know, tied. And then just the, you know, the, the bringing together of the people and seeing like the women, you know, it's really when you look at it, that's the first thing that really kind of stands out to you. It's actually just this big, um, uh, I don't know, it's like, like we're here, right? And, and, and it's all women. Um, you know, you see the two guys that are dancing in there and you see everybody around. But really, the thing that sticks out first is just the, the long line of women. And that right there for me was like I felt proud um, to see all the intricacies, I think, that was um, put into their regalia. You know, but then on the same sense, I mean, you see um you see the you know the banker and and you know the one that was you know the the the, the you know the uh, the other you know uh, people that came along with Tabernier that are in the painting you know the you know especially the you know the guy for from the mine who's actually you know um, opening up the mine and really um, causing a lot of destruction to the environment and to the people and so um, it's kind of like a a little bit of both you know you kind of see there. And then you, like I said, you know, you kind of look at, you know, the uh, the painting itself and you, you see, you know, there's some inconsistencies um, and then there's some embellishments um, from, you know, other, I think, paintings that he has done where, you know, there's a lot of big gold hoop earrings from the like the Midwest or, you know, those kind of things where um, it was just to make, I guess, a more grandeur, I guess, um, uh, of a painting. Um, you know, but that wasn't indicative to us. You know, we didn't have that type. Um, you know, it would have been abalone and clamshell and, you know, pine uh, pine nuts and, you know, all those things that we that we wear today. But, uh, yeah, so it's just it's got a it's got, you know, like I said, a little bit of both on in there. So, yeah, I definitely noticed some Iroquois inspired yeah. <laughs> style of jewelry in this picture. Uh, it's really it's really interesting to to look at the painting because I did notice the same thing. I it took me a while to notice that there were only two men dancers. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was looking, there's so much stuff going on in this right. painting. It's just amazing. So what did you uh, what did you contribute to the exhibit? Well, I, I think as far as just to the painting itself, a little bit more knowledge, I think, of what was really going on, traditional knowledge. I think, you know, that was uh, on, I went back in 19, or I'm sorry, uh, 2000, I think it was 19, uh, and I was actually in New York for a linguistics uh, conference. And while I was there, I said, hey, I'm going to go by the Met and check this painting out in real life, right, and, and go and see it. And it was, a, it, it kind of, it was it was amazing to see because of how big it was but then um i got to read the panel for it and you know no pun to um you know anyone that's outside of california but the panel was written by um somebody who was ojibwe 
um, talking about the roundhouse that really didn't understand or didn't really kind of have that connection with it. So uh, to read that, that kind of um, got under my skin a little bit, you know, because it's like, you know, I think we're always looking at, at indigenous people. As long as you get one, he can speak for everyone. And so uh, that was just one of the things that really kind of, um, like I said, kind of got under my skin. And, and after I got home, uh, I actually emailed the curator and just kind of told her how I felt and, you know, some of the, the, the things, I guess, that, that was going through my mind about the painting. And then that's kind of how it started. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to move on with Sherry. We're all going to um, answer some questions a little bit later, but I would like to um, ask Sherry to introduce herself. Um, tell us a little bit about you, uh, and then I'll ask you the questions about the exhibit. Sure. I am honored to be on your inaugural program, Corinne, and uh, I'm delighted that you're doing programs. So I'm Thank you, Sherry. I just adore you. (laughs) I would do anything with you. I'm just going to have this radio show so I can talk to you every month. (laughs) Let's make an appointment every Monday. Oh, no. no. We could just pick up the phone. Um, So I'm actually from um, Sonoma County, so Dry Creek Pomo and um, Coast Miwok. And I came up here goodness, about 25 years ago, 30 years ago now, to uh, become director at the Grace Hudson Museum in Ukiah. So I've done that for quite a long time. Um, I remember taking the job and thinking, oh, you know, I'll stay five years. (laughs) I'm glad you you stayed longer than that. (laughs) And I recently retired. um, And I'm going, you know, now I'm working for my tribe. Um, doing cultural projects for them. So uh, I can talk a little bit about how I got involved in the exhibit. Um, I was getting ready to retire and it's a really busy time and it was also around Christmas. And for some reason, I checked the spam folder on my computer, which I never do. And there was, um, Along with other things, there was a message from um, somebody that had a Met Museum address. And I thought it was probably from the store because I've bought some Christmas gifts from the Met gift store before. And I thought, oh, I wonder if they have some specials. (laughs) And um, I clicked on it, and it was from um, a woman who was curator at the Met who uh, planned to be in town in January and wondered if she could come by and look at the museum and and talk to me. So I often think that, um, you know, that was meant to be (laughs) somehow. (laughs) That of all days, of all times, I would actually follow up my spam folder. So uh, they came through. I think they met with you first, Robert. and uh, they had just, this was uh, the, the two curators of the show who are both uh, American painting specialists. So this was really conceived in that framework. <clears throat> and um, they were looking for potentially pieces and um, some, some potentially help to uh, frame the the kind of more native side of the exhibit. And we should say that this exhibit 
was um, co-produced by the Met and the De Young, and that uh, it is now currently at the Met. It opened, I think, about three weeks ago now. And so if anybody is going to New York and wants to see it, uh, I think it'll be there until the end of November. So that's that's how I got involved. Um, and I was asked to help them with the, the basketry because that's really my area of specialty, the, the kind of the basketry side of things in the exhibit. And well, I think one of the things we should say is this painting is uh, done in 18, I want to say around 1876. 78. And seven, yes, but he was kind of going um, to the community around 76. So, the, you know, that's really um, in the, the history of contact, uh, you know, that's that's pretty early. And there was a lot, it was a very interesting, heartbreaking and interesting sort of time period for, for Pomo peoples everywhere. Um, but particularly here, it's just so interesting to see this kind of moment of, of kind of cultural encounter and to be, you know, now I have to do math, which I'm not good at, but, you know, almost 150 years later, we know more what the reverberations of that that kind of encounter that you see are going to be. And so it's, um, you know, I think, I think there was a number of things I think all of us contributed uh, to the development of the exhibit that wouldn't have happened if we weren't there. Uh, but we can talk some about that later. Um, but I know one of the things that uh, people from that were involved from the two museums that were involved in developing the exhibit wanted was contact with uh, somebody who was contemporary artist um, as well as knowledgeable, you know, about sort of traditional arts. And so I couldn't think of anybody better than me. So um, I think that's, that's how Mio came on board. And what a great yeah. introduction for Mio. <laughs> so I'll turn it over to Mio. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Mio. It's good to see you. Beautiful face. Um, so how'd you get involved with the project? I have to live up to these introductions. Guys. You do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of just fell into it. I really feel like uh, Sherry gave me a call and, and said, hey, I have these people coming over. They're talking about the Tavernier painting. Um, do you want to come help me? And let's look at baskets and let's look at Eastern Pomo stuff. And even though, you know, it should be said, this is a Southeastern painting. Um, Bob didn't get to... Robert, you didn't get to fully introduce yourself, but it's an Eastern Pomo painting, or Southeastern Pomo painting, and I'm Eastern Pomo, which is the other side of the lake. But, um, you know, because we all live on that lake, you know, it's there's a lot of similarities. I will say, you know, there's a lot of differences also. 
but there are a lot of similarities. Um, so I got to come over to the Sun House when they were looking at items, and we just basically, it almost felt like we tag-teamed them. <laughs> you know, we just kept answering questions because we wanted to put more of the cultural items in with the painting to truly show this painting. You have to add in so many of the cultural items to explain and lead up to the painting. Um, I think also my environmental background has helped um, just in talking about, you know, some of the effects of what happened, but really I, I believe that the three of us coming together and adding all these different elements to this painting and all the different cultural items have led to a fuller story of what this painting is. Because if you were to just walk upon this painting and look at it, yeah, like Robert said, and like uh, Sherry said, it's magnificent. It really is. And your, your first impression is, so proud to have a pomo painting in the masterpiece world that's a it's a very powerful thing to know that your people affected the world at large in on the art world and then you do start looking at it and you do start seeing the the iroquois headdress and the southwestern things but that was more indicative of the time of, of just, you know, an artist trying to sell their work too. You know, they add those little pieces so that it's more palatable to the world at large because they're not going to understand those flicker bands. They're not going to understand some of the, the plainer skirts that our women had. Um, so they, they gussied it up and used things that they knew about Indian country. Um, and I think bringing those cultural items that we have and surrounding that painting with it and looking at the baskets that are inside the painting and all the different elements and putting the actual items in there and trying to get it around the same time frame that this painting was made really creates the story that when people walk in there, they not only see this painting, they see the people. And I think that really between the the written panels that Bob and Sherry did and to the baskets that were chosen, the regalia pieces that were chosen, this is an experience that we created to introduce a little bit of who we are to the world. The Met Museum is an international museum. The De Young Museum is an international museum. And we have created an opportunity for people to look inside the world of Pomo. Thank, Thank you. you so much. That was wonderful. Um, I'm so proud. You know, I love this this painting and I, I actually cannot wait to see it in person because you guys talk about um, the baskets that are in. Of course, I'm a basket weaver, so I go straight for the baskets. But you talk about the baskets that are in there and I know um, Robert said that 
um, there are different kinds of baskets in there than would normally be in the roundhouse. And I, I have been in the roundhouse a lot. I've grown up in the roundhouse since being a little kid. And the cool thing about this painting is that coming from that culture, you know, like seeing the door where it is, I can feel myself in our roundhouse in that spot. You know, like I can smell the smoke. I can smell the, the dust. Um, and it, but it is weird to see it so romanticized and kind of like, here's the whole village. Let's shove it in the roundhouse so everybody can see it all at once, which is kind of weird. So I, I did want to talk to you guys, to all of you, about the baskets that are in the painting because I, I haven't seen it. So I can't see up close what baskets they put in there. Um, and also, Robert, if you don't mind sharing, what what would the difference be between a ceremonial basket in the roundhouse and the ones that are in the painting? Well, I know, um, and, and there there are a lot of things. And, and the reason why I think I like even with um, the documentary that, that was done with for it is that there's a lot of history, not only just for the cultural items and the things that we did as Pomo people, but also just the history of 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 ceremony itself, which, you know, even I think some of us as, uh, you know, um, native communities, like especially the, these younger dances, younger dancers really don't know its origination, right? Like where it originated from and how and why, right? And so I think a lot of that information is, is there, you know, some of the things I think that was passed down, you know, um, from our, our elders of, you know, how the, how the roundhouse came, how, you know, how it, how it began and and the reasoning for it, I think, and all that's in there, you know. And and so for me, um, I I don't know. I look at like even the the painting when I see it, you know, the baskets. Um, there are certain ceremonies that we used to have that I haven't seen, you know, done in a long time, and they were, you know, basically baskets that um, were used for um, singing and and doing things in the, in the roundhouse, and and basically it was for you know making sure that we got um acorn um you know that following year and um so there were baskets that were made for that there were baskets that were sung in there that were used and those were the only ones that you know we were taught about the other things you know they were you know everyday um implements that we used and um you know they weren't something that you would take down in there unless like a it was you know, and, and I see the tray there, and the only thing that I can imagine with the tray is that, okay, well, it must have been, you know, midnight snack, and people might be bringing something in to put on it. But, you know, as far as the burden basket and the other ones that were in there, that wouldn't have been something that would have been in, in there. It would have been in the house, you know, in a home, but not in a ceremonial setting. And so, like I said, you kind of can see some of those things that are being embellished, which is, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's there because, you know, for um, non-Native communities to see that, um, it's just another, I guess, um, item or I guess another piece of, of, of what really, what makes Pomo Pomo, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. what we're world renowned for is just really the baskets, you know? And, and, and I think for this, that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to like, you know, be a big part of, of telling the truth. Um, I've seen those old um, dresses and, you know, the dress that the women are wearing, they're nice. They're really beautiful, vibrant colors. Uh, Milo and I have seen those, um, you know, dealing with Nagra. And they're just as beautiful. Um, you know, they're not the turquoise. They're not, you know, but they're the basic, you know, white, red, blue, 
black, yellow, um, and and made out of uh, flower sacks, but beautiful. And so, you know, I think it's that trueness is what I'm hoping people will really understand and see. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm really loving the painting. Because I'm, um, of course, I assume everyone knows that Pomo basket weavers were the most amazing. And when most people think about Pomos, they think basketry. And that's just my opinion, because that's what I think. Our baskets are incredibly impressive, but I think that this painting really shows that not, you know, impressive art like that can't just come from nowhere. It has to come from an impressive culture. Though this basket or this um, painting really makes an impression on that. And I think that that's a really cool thing. I also want to point out a couple of things that when Sherry was talking, she mentioned that this was early contact for California natives. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize that even if they are living in California, this was only 150 years ago. And that was our early contact. So we're... Um, still here we're still thriving this wasn't 500 years ago this wasn't 300 years ago this was 150 years ago and i know a lot of people in their 50s you know when they were born it was only 100 years ago so we've, we're going through a lot of transition i'm so proud to see that museums are um, asking indigenous people to come and start to represent themselves and i i know because i've seen it from the outside but I know that as indigenous people, when we work with entities, we still have to work within their frame of what they are going to allow to be shown. And I'm wondering if you guys, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I'm wondering if any of you would, would touch on that, touch on what it's like to be, to, uh, be edited, to be censored for what you can put into the museum or what they are willing to include if any of you want to talk about that yay sherry <laughs> I'll, I'll start that discussion anyway um it, it was interesting to um it, it was interesting because working with um uh, people who understood paintings but did not um, really know. So I, I would say one of the really remarkable things about this exhibit and one of the reasons I'd encourage people to go is because you'll see some really um, beautiful examples of, of regalia, which uh, is in terms of an art form, I think is as equally remarkable as pomo baskets. And for anybody that knows me, people know that I adore pomo baskets. So um, I think it's a chance to uh, see something that is transitory in nature. I mean, so much of it is made out of feathers and things that, that you know, baskets are really made out of sturdy materials. Um, I would say regalia much less so and so um, and then it's usually just brought out for particular occasions and so it's not on on view the way baskets are um, so it's and I think it is this uh, there are also pieces that are meant to move the one thing that I'm sorry is that there couldn't be in motion 
you know, when people see them because they really are at their best. They're really designed to be the hands. Um, and it tells you, I, I think between the baskets and the regalia, it, it gives you a picture of a people that, first of all, knew the world around them very intimately because, and they were very, um, they had an eye for beauty and they had an eye for um, of, of um, yeah, I don't know how to even explain it, but uh, it was just that that whole concept of, of of beauty, I think, permeated just life. So you have instead of, I would say one person, in this case, Tavernier, who is a great artist, I would say you have a community of people that were great artists. And <clears throat> it's kind of a chance in the exhibit to see those two particular kinds of art forms, um, art worlds, uh, sort of being merged for a while. And <clears throat> I remember talking to the people in New York saying, because we did go round and round and round about <clears throat> baskets um, in my case and Robert smiling. Um, I know you probably went round and round about regalia too. Um, you know, it was, they were like, well, let's just use this one. And it's like, no, 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 that's not, you know, that's not right. That's not from the right time period or that's not the right sort of, of thing for this particular circumstance. Um, so I think people didn't know in the museum world, um, they didn't know really the, the kind of variety and the depth and the, the maybe the nuances of it all. I think they had more of appreciation for that. But I also remember telling them, you don't understand, you know, people are going to be coming to see the baskets and the regalia because it, it I mean, the painting is nice, but people are going to be coming to see the baskets and the regalia because they will never, you know, not many people ever have a chance in New York to see that. And um, it, it needs to be right. And and when it is, it's it's remarkable. Um, and and I think, you know, it's, I think they were thinking that we were kind of an afterthought in some ways. So I could be doing them a disservice, but um, I think their main concentration was on the painting and ours certainly wasn't. So I don't know, Robert or Mio, if you have any, anything you want to say. I'm just going to interrupt and say um, welcome, everybody, for listening to um, Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. We are talking with Sherry Smith-Berry, Robert Gary, and Mio Marufo about their involvement in the Jules Tavernier and the, Alemo, and the Alem Pomo exhibit that's coming to the D. Young Museum. And we're talking about um, what it's like to represent your culture <laughs> in a uh, the more dominant culture it's pretty exciting I'll, i also want to bring something up um that the film that actually you can you can go on youtube and watch the film that the uh, museum made and it talks about um the mining sites and i i'm always shocked because i know that elem is actually in the top 10 u.s super sites for uh, pollution 
And I'm shocked that a lot of people don't know that living in Lake County and Mencino County. Um, and I would, I would love to hear your take on how that is impacting our culture still to this day, because I think a lot of people don't know. This was the beginning of that. And like Sherry mentioned, uh, there are four men in top hats in this painting that when you go see it, go to the exhibit and see it. And one of them was the mining man, the man who opened that mine and did a lot of poisoning of our people. Um, so if, uh, Robert, if you want to talk about that, about what's going on with that site, Yeah, I think, well, currently, I know EPA has came out and I know they're starting to interview a lot of the community and even the community around um, LM about, because um, there's been really just a lot of lip service about cleanup and how they're going to do it and what needs to happen. Um, and the good thing that it's not just the Native community that's tired of the lip service, it's actually the you know non-Native community that are around the outside that really have the concerns. And so they're really hard pressed, I think, um, I think when it comes to doing, um, doing something now about it. I think we're probably in a time with, you know, everything that's happened probably in the last two years, um, you know, for if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. But um, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, with, I think what, with what had happened um, once, you know, they started um, mining this, uh, this poison, basically, um, it really was a game changer, I think, for for everything. I mean, when we're talking, you know, we're talking basketry, we're talking, you know, um, things, even the animals are affected, you know, by it, um, you know, what we eat and what we used to collect, you know, what we use for, for ceremony, those kind of things, everything, it was, it was a part of it. And so um, it's, uh, it's always on our mind, like, what do we do? Um, to be able, or what can be done, I think, to to try to fix the problem. And I want, I guess, you know, a lot of people to understand it. it's not just an LM problem. And I'm glad that we as all, you know, indigenous communities, especially around the lake, um, realize that we're all affected by this. You know, the water doesn't stay just down in LM. You know, um, the fish don't, don't stay just down in the vicinity of LM, the birds, you know. So, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd, definitely would like to have a Mio talk on that. I know the environmental, you know, portion of it, you know, she's, she's, she's the lady. Sure. The lady Mio, um, just to let our listeners know that we are going to be taking questions in a few minutes. So if they have questions for our, uh, guests, Sherry Smith, Ferry, Robert Gary, or Mio Marufo, please call 707-895-2448. Thank you. Go ahead, Mio. Take it away. <laughs> Again, I have to live up to these <laughs> introductions. Um, first, I'd like to say that I think that's probably the reason why we wanted to put so many different items with this painting. It was almost like combating what happened with the with this painting this painting and i'll try not to cry like i did in the movie guys we love crying <laughs> it's fine <laughs> i i really you know we we talked about this while we were filming um the youtube video and i i have to say that i didn't expect the emotion that this painting brought up because they 
said, well, you know, what do you think of the time frame of this painting? And I didn't expect to, to have the emotional reaction I did. You know, part of me got really mad. This painting is not only a thing of beauty, this depicts the entire poisoning of a lake. You know, when we talk about a Superfund site, a Superfund site for US EPA is where the site is so contaminated that so much money has to go into it and it becomes a super funder. And those types of sites rarely get cleaned. You know, when, when we're looking at this mine, you know, the mine tailings were put on the reservation. They were not just put on the reservation. They were put in the communities outside. What they, you know, the, the mine hit the reservation the hardest. But there are a bunch of non-native communities all around that, too. And when Robert was saying that, those communities are starting to get angry too is because those communities have been there long enough now to where they see the physiological effects of those superfund sites the reservation had the mine tailings right on you know and we're talking about you know cancer cells we're talking about you know high infant mortality rates. We're talking about, hey, why are there lumps in the fish? You know, why are there different things like this happening? You know, what what is creating mouth cancers when you're basket weaving? Things like that. And it's not just Elem then that's getting that's getting affected by it. Elem is taking the brunt of everything based on that mine proximity. The mine is right next to the reservation. I think it's important to note, though, that the culture did not end when that mine opened, that the culture remained. And it is still one of, see, I'm going to get, I'm going to get emotional. See, <laughs> um, but the culture still remains one of the strongest ones around that lake oh. and has been the backbone of the different things that have happened around that lake. So the culture didn't end when that mind opened, but it certainly made it a lot harder to survive and thrive. You know, um, the currents um, that are in that lake have made it so that the, the mind, um, the contaminations move around that lake. So there are things like you can't eat fish. You can't eat. You can only eat three ounces of fish every t two months. Wow. When you talk about a people that sustained on fish, what does that do to them? It makes a fish people an acorn people. It changes songs. It changes language. It changes the very nature of some of our ceremonies of who we are, you know, for those who are down at the lake and deal with this water. You know, right now, there are seven tribes in Lake County. Those tribes have gotten together and they are now uh, water sampling, water monitoring all around the lake. 
And when initially when when uh, uh, Big Valley, Elam, Upper Lake, and Robinson were the ones that kind of started that, and Scotts Valley is now in it, um, Lower Lake is in it. But initially when these kind of things started, they were like, well, why aren't you just monitoring at your little reservation? And it's like, well, first of all, some of us don't touch the water, you know, with, with our reservation lands. But uh, it's more, we're, we're not just worried about one part of the lake because it actually affects all of the lake, you know. So it has to, the monitoring has to move around. But this painting is the start of the contamination of the lake because when that mine opened, that's when the contamination started happening. And these are the funders that are in the painting you know, looking to fund the mine, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a very powerful painting. And like Bob and Sherry said, it depicts just this whole time of what's going on with the people, the pomo of the lake, you know, there's already all these things that are happening in that particular time frame to all of the pomos, of, you know, all the pomo tribes, you know, and all of the people of California, you know, just being 1870-something, you know. But then when you add in this whole idea of this one particular mine, you're affecting the whole of Pomo country in Lake County. Thank you. Thank you, Mio. That's that's good information. And um, so this show is called Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce um, because you guys are amazing ancestors. Like guys you're gonna make me cry so um but i also want to inspire other people to be good ancestors no matter what their um race or heritage or background is so knowing like being aware that this is one of the top 10 super fun sites in our own neighborhood um opens a door i think for a lot of people to be able to be good ancestors and to support um good things. So I, uh, again, I'm Corrine Pierce and I'm your host and I have ancestry <laughs> from Elam and I always, you know, I love that Mio is saying, you know, how, re how resilient were these people to be being actively poisoned and still, um, being the center of culture and heritage for so many people um even as we were moved away from the lake so we actually have a phone call and this is my first phone call um so caller you are joining us if you have a question for any of our hosts or any of our guests um yes any of our hosts or any of our guests i just had to turn off the radio um yes I have been living here in Mendocino County for 30 years, and I am aware that Clear Lake was poisoned, but what kind of mine, what were they mining for? And is I need, if you could give me a little more history, because I feel like you guys already know it all, and I'm coming in fresh. So It was um, a mercury Elam. mine? Excuse me? Um, it was a mercury mine, correct, Mio? It was for oh. mercury, correct? Oh, okay. And um, do you have the history 
do you know the the name of Clear Lake? Is it uh, what was the indigenous name for it, and um, and how did it become called Clear Lake? Uh, Clear Lake Clear Lake's one of, if not the oldest lake in North America, and this is a great time for a history lesson. There are several Pomo quote. I'm going to put some air finger quotes here. There are several Pomo languages around that lake. There was not just one name for that lake. Each of those indigenous groups would have had their own name and way of referencing that. So I know that Mio and Robert both um, do language in, and they are across the lake from each other. So they actually speak different languages from each other. So if they want to share um, in their language what the name for their lake is, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Don't jump all at once. <laughs> Well, see, I, I'm like sitting here with my hand shaking because <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm a dabbler. <laughs> Bob is a speaker. I'm a dabbler. Um, Hobbiton is what I've always known it as. So you want to pronounce that right for me, Bob? <laughs> Yeah, it's well. My mom. Just, just for clarification to my mom's Eastern Pomo. She's from Big Valley, so we. I kind of got that both. But yeah, it's. Um, it, I noticed like down here, our pronunciation is a little bit different. But my mom's was Habitin, which is like Mio, the same um, Eastern Pomo, and then down here it's just Habitin, um, which just mean it means big water. Um, that was the indigenous name for the lake, um, usually by all the tribes that were from here. I think the only one that might have named it different would have, would have been the Wapo um, at some point. But yeah, other than that, it was the same. Thank you, guys. Um, that was cool. That was our first caller. <laughs> um, so we only have a couple of minutes left. So I'm wondering if there are any passion projects that you guys are working on right now that you would like to share with our listeners before we sign off for the morning. I know Sherry is working on an amazing exhibit down in Healdsburg, and I would love to hear about that. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm working feverishly because I only have a few more weeks on getting an exhibit finished about Dry Creek Rancheria history and culture called From Digger's Bend to River Rock um, down at the Hillsburg Museum. It'll open on September 30th and it will be up until the end of May uh, in 2022. And it's for all of you that are basket lovers, it's the first chance that I've ever had uh, to bring together baskets from that region that are of Pomo country that are really spectacular and, and different. So everybody had kind of their own unique style. So Awesome. Thank you so much. And we are out of time. I'm so grateful to the three of you for being here on my inaugural show of Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. Thank you so much, everybody. And I will see you all soon.
podcast was produced by KZYX-FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, local community radio for Mendocino County, California. If you enjoyed the program and you'd like to hear more, in Northern California, you can tune in anytime to KZYX at 90.7 FM in Philo, KZYZ at 91.5 FM in Willits and Ukiah, and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg. If you're listening to this podcast from further away, we also stream live 24 hours a day at kzyx.org, where you can hear our eclectic range of locally produced music, public affairs, and news, along with daily state and national news programs and breaking news. You can also find out how to become a member to keep KZYX on the air. Thank you for listening.